back. You know, a lot of you know I do uh, my sports ministry. We were really blessed this last time. We had uh, three young ladies and a young man step out, and they want to be baptized now. So that was very fruitful. Had another parent that came to Christ, so God's been moving. Uh, Then you come back to reality and start getting attacked again. So that's how the game works. Okay, um, this week I want to preach a message that's not in 1 Kings, uh, and we'll get to the title here in a minute, but for over three months now, we've kind of found ourselves living in a different world. How many people notice that? Okay, because if you don't notice it, you don't get out much. All right, I mean, we're in the middle of the first worldwide pandemic since, well, it's been about over 80 years since there's been a worldwide pandemic to this level. I mean, the nation and the world basically, they're basically shut down, or were basically shut down. Uh, and we have had this, I mean, just a ton of information, and I think a ton more misinformation thrown at us, right? To the point where you don't even, you don't even know what to believe anymore. Like some say that masks will save your life, and others say that masks are a waste of time. I say that they hide my beauty. <laughs> but either way, you just don't know exactly what, what to believe anymore. I mean, things are changing. People, you know, have had to deal with being out of work, being trapped in their homes. I don't know about you guys. This might shock you. I'm a little hyper. And it's, it's tough for me to be trapped at home. You notice we've had to expand our vocabulary uh, to include some unfamiliar words like uh, social distancing, right? Oh, a word I hope uh, one of these days I'll never have to use again. Uh, asymptomatic, right? Flattening the curve, you know what I mean? These are words that are becoming normal to us now, unfortunately, you know? I mean, it, and you can't help but feel like, you know, our basic freedoms, it seems like our basic freedoms are kind of suspended or maybe even taken away. Anybody feel like that? Sometimes it, it's rough. I mean, we all have normal reactions, and that I think that, that's a normal reaction. But, you know, it, that wasn't the worst of it, right? And I think that's why God put this on my heart, because, I mean, then came violence, right? And then came civil unrest, and then came protests. And worse is everyone is taking a side. Everybody feels like they have to take a side. I mean, statues are being destroyed. The national anthem is, you know, under attack, right? I mean, it's starting to feel like life as we once knew it is over. Anybody else feel that way? You guys are all going, thanks for the uplifting message, Pastor Chris, right? But it, it just, it just kind of feels like that, you know? And then to make matters worse, we have, you know, the self-proclaimed internet prophets. You know what I mean? Uh, guys who I wish would not pay their internet bill. People who are coming on saying, it's the end of time. Anybody hear that yet? Yes, we were supposed to be over like a week ago, according to one of them, right? I mean, they're either saying, you know, it's the end of time, or they're just sitting on their perch and judging everyone. You know, if, uh, you, know, if, if you wear a mask, you're a sellout. If you don't wear a mask, you're a murderer. <laughs> you know, and I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just ridiculous, and the whole time they're making these insults, they're lifting themselves up as these beacons of faith and valor, you know? just makes me want to hurl. But anyway, you know, what bothers me probably more than anything, what bothers me absolute most is how Christians have kind of lost their focus during this whole thing. That really, really bothers me. I mean, many believers act like they've forgotten our true purpose and our true priorities. Believers are actually allowing their circumstances to define them 
I mean, that's exactly what is happening right now. We're not supposed to be like that. We're not supposed to let our circumstances define us, but that's exactly what's happening. So today's message is entitled, Pandemics, Protests, and Priorities. Okay, now listen, before anybody blows up, we're not discussing the pandemic, and we're not talking about different views on the protests, right? That's, that's not what this is about. Today we're going to discuss how we can keep our bearings during trying times like these, how we can kind of see through the fog, if you will. And we're going to see how faith can reveal opportunities for us, even in difficult and trying times like what we're uh, going through right now. Now, um, we're going to jump into Acts chapter 17, if you want to follow along in your Bibles. And, and uh, we're at a part where Paul is in Athens. Uh, and that's, that's where we're going to pick up. Paul is in a, a city called Athens. Now, Athens was a city that was under Roman rule that was known for its idol worship and its idol gods. I mean, it was known for it. There was a huge temple of Zeus there that was even bigger than the Parthenon, right? And as a polytheistic society, which means a society that worships many gods, but as a polytheistic society, Zeus was only one, I mean, of thousands of gods that they served, right? And so when Paul arrived there, all this blatant idolatry and all this, you know, godlessness, you know, it started getting to him. And that's where we'll pick up, Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 16. It says, Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, pay attention to this, his spirit was being provoked within him as he was observing the city full of idols. Now the Greek word used here for provoked within him is perikuso. And what it means is to be emotionally upset or emotionally concerned about something. that's, That's what it means. And basically... Seeing that the true God, the one true God, was basically being denied. I mean, just completely ignored, not even a topic of conversation, really bothered him. It was heavy on him. Now, when I say heavy, has anybody here ever felt weighted with something? When something bothers you, and I mean, you know, it feels, I mean, you can feel it almost physically when you're weighed down with something, when something's really burdening you, and this is what he was feeling. I mean, they're just denying the existence of God, worshiping all these idol gods, and I don't think you realize how bad it was there. I mean, this had to be a world shifter to him. I mean, they had so many different gods. I mean, we're talking some were snakes, some were all this other stuff, and some, you know, asked them to sacrifice their first children in the fire. Some were based on sex, and there were open orgies in the streets. I mean, this was a vile situation that Paul walked into, right? So how does he react to all this? I mean, all this stuff that's really troubling him and really hurting him, would he get angry? Would he lash out? Would he? No, listen, he did what he knew best, and he started reasoning in the scriptures. He started going back to the word. So he started going to the synagogues to talk about the scriptures, hoping to open some doors, because he knew that more people than just people who believed in God would hear this message. So he was reasoning with, uh, with the Jews and God-fearing Gentiles about God's word. Now, the word reason here means to speak in somewhat of a formal setting, so he was literally speaking out to the synagogue. Right? But other people were hearing that, as we're going to see, uh, and we move on in this message. Now, many believers, including myself, can relate to how Paul's feeling here. Okay, I don't know about you guys. Now, I'm, not, I'm sure I'm not the only one. But everything that's going on has me troubled. Does it you? Does sometimes you just feel, I mean, sometimes, I'm going to be real honest with you about something. I cannot watch the news anymore. I can't watch it. You know? I mean, I find myself watching 80s reruns of cop shows, which are very cool, by the way, right? Because I just can't stand it. I, you know, thank God for weather app, because I don't even like to watch the local news, although it's wrong half the time. 
You know what I mean? But I mean, it's to the point where it just troubles me so bad that I'm tired of being troubled and I don't, I don't want to watch it anymore. And I've heard people, a lot of people say things like, I just can't believe what's going on. It's like we're in a dream. Anybody else feel that way? I mean, all this stuff that's going on, it's like we're watching a third world nation in our own nation. You know, and all this stuff going on around us. So I understand what it feels like to be so troubled, right? I mean, it's not so much the protests that bother me. This country was based on, built on protests. It's not so much that. Right, but the rioting and the looting and the civil and political unrest—it's just—it's just ridiculous. And you can't know the truth about anything because the media no longer serves as a source of accurate information. Right? I mean, now they're a little more than sources of political propaganda, don't you think? I mean, literally, you can't find out the truth. So it, and you guys are going, "Thank you." I feel so uplifted now. I'm ready to just shout, right? But I mean, you just can't get any real comfort from this world right now, and I mean, <laughs> it's crazy because, I mean, all this may, makes people feel kind of like, well, we're never going to have our world back. Have you ever thought that? Or have you ever thought, how are we gonna, ever going to have our world back? Have you ever thought that way? I mean, a lot of people are thinking that way, and this had to be what Paul felt like when he saw the conditions in Athens. Now, most people in Athens, no joke, didn't think about or even consider the true God. Jesus didn't even cross their mind, right? I mean, kind of feels like that now, doesn't it? It wasn't even crossing their mind, and this had to be bothering him. And there's so many ways he could have reacted, right? But he didn't react like a lot of us probably would. He didn't badmouth the idol gods, not once. He didn't badmouth the worshipers of those idol gods. He just kept teaching the word and looking for an opportunity to serve because he knew that no matter how chaotic the world may be, there is one constant that doesn't change, and that constant is God is still in control, completely, 100% in control, and he knew that. That's the one constant, and he knew that when, as long as God was in control, no matter how chaotic the situation, God would open a door for him to serve and make things better instead of making things worse, right? And as a result of that faithfulness, God opens an amazing door to ministry that we're going to talk about here in just a minute. See, when our world seems to be going crazy, we should, we should really follow Paul's example here, right? And, and we can't do that simply by, you know, saying we want things to change, right? We actually have to believe and remember that God is in complete control and be willing to do whatever he asks when he gives us the opportunity. Because here's the thing we have to remember. God is fully aware of the circumstances. He's fully aware of them. And guess what? He is not panicking. God is not in heaven going, I have no idea what I'm going to do here. What a mess. This, this is not what's happening. He's not stressed out. He's not stressed out. I mean, and here's why. It's because God has always had a plan. Since the day he created us, he has always had a plan, and that plan has not changed. And his plan has, has been for our benefit the whole time. Even when we're acting stupid, even when we make a mess of everything, even when we create total chaos, God's plan doesn't change. And here's his plan. He will protect and provide for and comfort and strengthen his people no matter what's going on around his people. That's a promise he has always kept, and he always will keep. He's going to 
uh, provide peace and confidence to, so that we can be able to stand up to what we have to face. He's always done that. If you read in the Bible some of the crazy things that went on with the prophets in the Old Testament, and God was still God no matter what was going on. He was still God. When, when, when the 450 prophets of Baal came up against Elijah, you know what? He was still God. And he stepped into the gaps. You know why? Because his plan doesn't change. And if you really can learn to trust him and believe that he's sovereign, that he's in control, you will start to see opportunities where other people see chaos and hopelessness. Because that's how God works. That's how God worked with Paul. Paul trusted God's sovereignty, and where everybody else saw chaos, everybody else saw hopelessness, he saw opportunity, and opportunity came knocking. Let's take a look at this. Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 18. And also some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were con, uh, conversing with him. Some were saying, what would this idle babbler wish to say? Others, I've actually had people say that about me, I think. What would this idle babbler wish to say? Others were saying he seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities because he was preaching Jesus in the resurrection. Okay, now the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers that confronted Paul I'm going to let you give a little, get a little background about them. There, there was some weird stuff going on back then. I mean, religiously and socially also, just like there is now. Okay, these, this, these two groups had some weird beliefs. Like the Epicureans believed that the purpose of life was to eat, drink, and be merry, and, and, and get as much joy and pleasure out of the pleasures in life as you can whenever possible, as often as possible. That's, that was their thing. It kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? Right? Then you had the Stoics, Right? And the Stoics believed that you should deprive yourself of all the worldly pleasures. You know what I mean? And that you should sacrifice and, and not take part in those types of pleasures. And they believed in pursuing some kind of harmony with everything that exists. You ever heard of that kind of doctrine now? I mean, where people are trying to be at one with Mother Tree, <laughs> Mother Ant, you know, Mother Hog, whatever. Right? They just had totally different views. But the one thing that they both agreed on was, man, that... The stuff he's saying just doesn't make sense to us. It's strange. Acts 17, starting in verse 19. said, And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, uh, May we know what this new teaching is which you are proclaiming. For you are bringing some strange things to our ears, so we want to know what these things mean. Talk about the golden ticket. This is what every preacher hopes will happen to him somewhere, or every Christian should hope, that someone's going to say, What is this whole Jesus thing? <laughs> You're going, sit down. Right? Verse 21. Now the Athenians uh, and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling and hearing something new. So they were gossips. Right? They sat around wanting to hear new stories. Right? So here's the thing. What they were about to hear should not have been a surprise to them. Unfortunately, it was. But they had never really heard about a God like Jesus. And they didn't understand faith. See, They'd never heard of a loving and, and, a, and a gracious God, a sacrificial God. This, this, was, this was totally new to them, right? Because th this God was actually willing to become flesh and allow himself to be persecuted. They're like, what kind of God does that? And not just be persecuted, to be mocked and to be beat and to be tried innocently and found guilty and tortured. Right? And then allowed to be put to death in one of the most miserable forms of, uh, of, of punishment known to mankind, the crucifixion. 
And to go through all of that just to be put in a borrowed tomb and to take on death and hell and beat it. And what did he get for all that when he comes out of the grave, when he's resurrected? Did immediately everyone have to prove themselves worthy? No, he did all that because he knew none of us were worthy. And he did that because he wanted so desperately to have a relationship with us. So this is a God that sacrifices all. Take, I mean, puts himself in danger, puts himself in peril just for the hope that people might believe in him. They never heard of a God like that. One that was willing to die and rise again to offer redemption. Especially one who would do that and then require nothing from you except believing that he did it and he did it for you. And when they heard that, they're like, this is nuts. This doesn't make sense. All the gods I know make us have to prove ourselves all the time. We either, you know, on the Epicurean side, we got to go out and, you know, get it on and drink and do everything we can do as much as we can because that's the joy our gods want us to have. Then on the other side, you have to give up everything and sacrifice everything, right, in order to hopefully make God be pleased enough to look at you. Every god they knew wanted you to prove yourself to have any chance whatsoever of having an afterlife, right? So this concept of grace was completely foreign to them, but at least they had the guts to come up and say, what the heck are you talking about here, right? Now, most people would have seen this as a conflict. All these people coming up, calling him a babbler. You know, most people would have said, I'm not answering your questions, fool. You just call me a babbler. So babble yourself right out of here then. You don't need to know. Let me know how hell is, friend. You know what I mean? That's what a lot of people may have done. Right? But he didn't see the conflict here. He just saw opportunity. See, believers today seem to be allowing the world to pull them into their conflict. Now, that could have happened to Paul. He chose not to let that happen to him. But it seems like today that believers are allowing themselves, allowing the world to take a hold of them and pull them into this conflict. I mean, I have heard and seen believers side against protesters and politicians, and I've heard and seen believers side with protesters and politicians. And both of them are so passionate and fighting and posting and you know what I mean? Like, like the president's going to read their post and go, i got to call that guy. <laughs> you know? He's always posting stuff about me. You know? They're just so passionate, and they're one's taking one side, one's taking the other. These are believers. In the end, you know what's sad is no matter which side you side with, you're on the losing side. Both of them. Are, you're on the losing side. Right? Because it's not our job to find a worldly philosophy to conform to. That's not why we're here. And if you're on any team or any side other than Jesus, you lose. It doesn't make any sense. Listen, Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Okay, I love this. It says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. All right, now listen to this. And do not be conformed to the world. Okay, do not be conformed to this world. See, we're not supposed to be looking for a way to conform. We don't have to find a philosophy to conform to. That's not why we're here. It says instead, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So our job is not to decide which side we're on here. I'm not on either side. And people get mad when I say that. They go, are you a Republican or a Democrat? I go, I'm neither. I'm, I'm a Christian. Well, you have to take a stand. I am. What are you standing on? Jesus. What party is he? 
Jesus. How does he vote? Jesus. That's where I am. I'm, I'm right there. That, that's where I'm at. Right? It says, and be, by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Okay? It's not our job to adapt to some philosophy of this world. It's our job to transform the worldly philosophies and the chaos that is a result of them, to transform them into peace and love that only comes from Jesus. That's what our job is. That's what our job is. Okay? Now, if you notice in the next few verses, I want you to pay attention to how Paul handles all the chaos going on around him. Now, it could have been easy if he would have picked a party. He could have said, oh, you know what? I'll go with you Epicureans. And he'd have had some friends. Or, no, I'll go with you Stoics. Or, you know what? I'll go with you Pharisees. He could have picked a side. Maybe jumped on his, you know, stone computer and made some posts about it. Right? Maybe tweeted pterodactyly or whatever, you know. Whatever. He could have picked a side. That would have been easy. He didn't do that. Right? Look what he does in this chaos. This is his sermon. Acts 17.22. Well, hold on. Before his sermon. It says, So Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all aspects. That <laughs> was brilliant. That was brilliant. Because you notice he didn't attack anybody. He didn't say, Men of Athens, you are all on crack. You have the most jacked up gods. You can't make up your mind. Some of them are snakes. Some of them are bulls. Some of them are this. Some of them are that. You know, some are women. Some are men. Some are horsemen. Some are bull men. And you guys are flipping nuts. <laughs> Every one of you needs to be on something. Medically. He could have said that. Right? He could have got up and said, I perceive that you are idiots. You know? And I would love to have an intellectual conversation, but there's no one here armed to do so. He could have done that. But instead, he uses these very politically correct words. I observe that you are very religious. <laughs> well put. Religion is man's attempt to find God. He said, I assume that you are really searching for God here in all respects. So he stands on this prominent outcropping of stones. That's what the Areopagus was. It's an area where they'd gather to talk. He stands there. Right? And he begins to speak. Now notice, he didn't bash their gods. You never get to anybody when you're trying to win somebody, especially from a pagan culture, by bashing their gods. It's kind of like trying to become friends with somebody bashing their sister or their mother. Not a good idea. He didn't bash their gods. Right? That he, didn't, he didn't bash their beliefs. Right? As a matter of fact, he used both their gods and their beliefs to teach them. It's really brilliant. Acts 17.23. He says, for while I was passing through and examining your objects of worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. Okay, so I, you know, I'm visual. How many of you are visual? When you think of things, when you read them, is your picture better than the book and the movie they come out with? Mine usually is, because my stuff's real creepy. Right, but here's what I see. I see Paul walking down this busy street, and every third step, there's a big statue to something. Right? And as he's walking, he's going, snakes, bullmen, bullwoman, horsewoman, horseman. These guys are nuts. And he's looking at all these statues. 
God of the sun, God of the moon, right? He's seeing all these, and he's going, God, these people are nuts, but they need you so bad, you've got to show me something here. Because I can't preach on any of these fools. I've got to find something. And he gets to the end, and there's this statue to the unknown God. And this one stood out to him. That basically, he said, among all these, all these lovely idols, there's one that stands out to me, and it's, it's the unknown God. Because seeing that statue proved something to him, spoke to him. Because he thought to himself, among thousands of statues, of thousands of gods that give you thousands of alternatives to worship and thousands of ways to worship, it wasn't enough. They could not find peace, contentment, or happiness in the thousands of statues. And the fact that they built one to the unknown God said that we haven't found one yet that is giving us what we are looking for. So we're going to build this one to the unknown God because maybe he'll have the answers. The rest of them haven't done so good so far. That unknown God was them calling out to God, and I'll explain that here in a minute. So Paul basically says, listen, you don't know who this guy is, but I'm sure glad you built this statue, because it just so happens I know this guy. And when I'm done, you can change that down there, unknown God, that inscription, because I'm going to give you his name, and his name is Jesus. This is what he did. I just, I just think this, this is amazing. See, today, believers, we're also living in a society that is full of idol gods and more coming every day. The sad thing is, I feel like we're, consent to, we're content to do so. I feel like we kind of consent to it in a way. I do. Right? And, and, and you're seeing more of the idol gods being built every day. I mean, when these recent tragedies and this unrest began... The world started erecting new gods because the enemy is going to make sure that happens. Let me tell you how some of the, what some of these gods look like. See, there's these liberal and conservative gods that arose, and they began spewing their political doctrines. And people are jumping on one side or the other, right? Because they're so happy to be one or the other. There's one god that's been erected right in our presence. The racial and cultural gods arose who are are preaching separation and rebellion so that people can fight with each other about something as stupid as race because god created everything that means he loves everything god's colorblind i think we should be so you have these these other gods coming up trying to get culture against culture and race against race which has found its origin in satan i'm telling you and that idol god popped up among us and believers see all this happening. They see these, these idol theologies coming up around them. These idol gods popping up all around them. And we have this golden opportunity. This golden opportunity to show them another option. And that other option is named Jesus. Right? But instead we, we take sides. Why? When we know a better option than all that. And its name is Jesus. Right? I mean, sadly, the option that we know that we could be uh, pronouncing to people, Jesus, that option has become Paul's unknown God of his time because nobody's talking about Jesus anymore. We might as well go to churches and put over the door the unknown God. Church of the unknown God. Because we're so political, 
We are so cultural, we are so carnal, that we're getting sucked into everything but Jesus. So to be honest with you, when I see Paul saying, let me talk to you about the unknown God, when I preach in this world today, I feel like I'm saying, let me explain to you, nation built on one nation after God. Let me talk to you about the unknown God because you've forgotten who he is and what he's done for us. So we are in a similar situation here, sadly, that Paul was in. We are in a chaotic situation and need to teach people about an unknown God, a God that's unknown to them, but instead we're taking sides, and when we take sides, we promote more chaos. When we talk about how we disagree with this or agree with this, and we battle back and forth on the internet, which, if gosh, I wish something would happen that would knock that sucker out, and we fight back and forth and argue back and forth and post and repost and we share, and, and it's just, I mean, when all the smoke clears, Christians are saying everything but Jesus, and it drives me nuts. Because we are just like Paul anymore. We are in a world that is not talking about Jesus, and we are standing at the bottom of the statue of the unknown God in our own country. That's where we're at right now. I mean, I see Christians fighting online over masks. Stinking masks. I see people fighting over protesters. I see them fighting over politics. And not one of those those three things can guarantee eternal life to you, but look how passionate you are. Man, if you could be that passionate about Jesus, what you could do. Oh my gosh, what you could do if you could be that passionate about Jesus. We should be trying to preserve peace, not further the chaos. And we preserve peace by offering the option that no one's talking about. Let's love each other. Like God intended. Let me tell you about the ultimate act of love that happened in Jesus. Let me talk to you about the unknown God. It almost sounds like we've forgotten God is still in charge, doesn't it? Does it feel like that? And if this is hurting your feelings, it's meant to. Just saying. Right? Now listen. We don't have to waste valuable time choosing sides in the world. We don't have to do that. We have to invest our time in finding opportunities to share our faith. That's what we should be doing, because by doing that, we'll be speaking peace into chaos, not throwing more wood on that fire. You with me? Okay, listen. One of you, thank you. Right? Now, let's, I want you to listen to this sermon that Paul preached. He's already said, I know this guy, this unknown God. You guys see him? You know, I'll bet the crowd just grew immensely. You know how many people knew they weren't getting what they needed and were dying to see if that guy could give it to them? That unknown God, they were just dying to hear. I could see this crowd growing. Acts 17, 24. It says, The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Well, let me get a drink. Forgot I put monster in there. Okay, here we go. Does not, you're in trouble now. Does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands, uh, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. Did you know that? That's something I think about often. Whether you love God or don't love God, whether you believe in God or don't believe in God, whether you're an atheist, which doesn't really exist, or anything else, you are the beneficiary of God's blessing because you got another breath to breathe. 
because you get to wake up another day. Okay, another sermon. Anyway, verse 26. And he made from one man every nation of mankind. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. One man, everybody, just put in different places. Verse 27, that they would seek God. Now, I want you to pay attention. If you've got your Bible, underscore this. This is big. That they would seek God if perhaps they might, what? Grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. For in him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said. For we also are his children. Okay, Paul starts by saying that there's only one God. Now, you would think they would just storm the Bastille as soon as he said that. But you know why they didn't? Because they built a statue to an unknown God. That's why they didn't storm the Bastille, because they wanted to know the unknown God. Because they weren't being fulfilled from the gods they had. There was no pleasure. There was no peace that lasted. They could have said, shut up. You can't say that, that there's only one God. But they needed God. God had placed a desire in them to find him. And that unknown God meant enough to where they were going to shut up and listen to what he had to say because that unknown God might be the source of peace they've been missing for centuries. Okay, he says there's only one God. And he said that one God created everything that exists and everyone who exists from one man. And God determined when and where every person would fit into history. God determined all those things, knowing every person's time and place. Now listen, God knows when each one of us is going to die. Okay, now that doesn't mean he may, he's making you die that day. He just knows when it's coming. Now, so don't read too much into that. I was, <laughs> I was with this preacher one time. He cracked me up. He was always saying, you know, you know well, you know, when it's my time, when it's my time, when it's my time. And I said, listen, you can't think like that. He goes, well, I'm, I will not die until it's my time. I said, then jump in front of that train. He said, what? I said, I promise you, you step in front of that Amtrak, today is your day. <laughs> I promise you. Listen, God knows when you're going to die. It doesn't mean he made you die. He just knows when you're going to die. So he, he knows every person's time, every person's place, how they're going to affect history. And God offers redemption to every last one of them. And he got even placed in people, uh, he placed people in a situation where they had the best possible position to know him, the best opportunity to know him. Everybody, everywhere, they're put where they can get to know God. Right? So that, that if they even grope for him, they will find him. Now, grope has taken on a different meaning than what, <laughs> you know, than what it meant there. So let's just wipe that grope out of our head that we're thinking of. Okay, let's just wipe that out. For a second. The word grope in the Greek means to desperately search for the unseen. Okay, and how I can make that applicable to you is it's like walking into a dark room and trying to find the light switch. You ever done that? If you've got kids, that's scary. <laughs> because there's little McDonald's landmines everywhere from there. You know what I mean? That's what it's like. Have you ever done that, walked into a dark room you're not familiar with, trying to find the light switch? I mean, it, it's scary, and, and it's confusing when you do that. Unless somebody from outside the door says, hey, 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 two steps forward, three steps to your left, it'll be right there. Then you find it. Okay, you know what our job is? You know what our priority is? 
It's not the pandemics. It's not the protests. It's to be the person outside the dark room, say, take two steps forward, three steps to the right, and reach to the wall, and you're going to find it. That is our job. Okay, that, that is our job. And so what he's saying here is basically mankind was implanted with a desire to know the true God. We were implanted with that desire. And people argue this with me. This could be a long one. People argue this with me. And then I say, what about these tribes out in the middle of these, you know, undiscovered areas in the middle of jungles? They don't speak the language. They've never seen a Bible. They've never heard a preacher. They don't know about Jesus. How does God get to them? Glad you asked. You ever hear of a man named Moses? Kind of popular. He's my cousin. I'm just kidding. Right? Probably is. I'm from the South. Anyway. Right? Moses, I misspoke in the early service. He left Egypt in his, when he was 40, and he's in his 80s, roaming around in the desert. There were no Bibles. There were no Torahs. There were no temples. There were no priests. Just him and some sheep. And a bush catches on fire. And from out of that bush comes a voice that says, Hey, Moses, kick off your shoes. I got something I got to tell you. That's my version. Okay? And God found him. Listen, <laughs> God isn't lost. We are. But he keeps us in close proximity, hoping that we will just be groping, reaching for him, letting feeling, trying to find. We don't even know his name. We don't know how to do it. We just want something that will bring peace in our lives. And we're reaching out in that dark room. And when you're reaching out, he will make himself found because he loves you. Now, he didn't need a missionary. I'm all for missionaries, so don't say that. But he didn't need a missionary to find Moses. Moses was lost and looking for answers, and God said, I've got him, and he set that bush on fire to give him to him. You know what? No matter what tribe they found, and, and no matter where they find him, you know there's one thing that's always the same? They always have an object of worship. Why? No missionaries, no Bibles, no churches. Why is it that those people always have an object that they are worshiping? It's because God has put that desire in each and every one of us to grope for him, to reach for him, and we are looking for him. We have this inherent desire to want to worship God, so sometimes what you see them worshiping is their attempt to know the unknown God. And people say, well, what if a missionary never gets there? Then he might have to set a bush or two on fire, but he will not leave them alone. He'll reveal himself to them because he made them, he loves them, and he wants them back. That's how that question's answered. Jesus spoke about this in John's Gospel. John 12, 31 says, Now judgment is upon the world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Okay? Right? And now he's going to talk about his crucifixion. He says, And if I am lifted up, talking about his crucifixion, and if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. Okay? He's saying, You guys all have this beacon in you, searching for that unknown God, groping in that dark room for that unknown God. But the second they put me up on that cross, the lights came on, I am him. It's me. It's me. 
So that built-in inner desire will always draw people near to God. Our priority should be to help him find the rest of the way. That's why we're here. Not to battle about protests, not to battle about pandemics, not to make ourselves become the internet prophets. Our job is to be the people who tell them where to find the light switch so they can turn on the light and find out who the unknown God is. That is our job. That's why we're here. That is our priority. You know, it was that desire... That desire that God placed in man that Paul talked about here, it was that desire that made somebody say, out of the thousands of gods, we need to build one more because I still haven't found peace. I don't know who he is. I don't know where he is. He's unknown to me, but I need him. Let's build that statue. And the whole time God's going, oh, I'm going to send somebody to tell you who he is. And you never know when God's going to send you to explain who he is. But you'll miss it if you're too busy talking about pandemics and protests. You're going to miss it if you keep doing that, right? You're going to miss it. I just think this is unreal. The unknown God was the God they were looking for the whole time. God just places this, this inner desire in people for us to seek him. And here's something else. We, we are so religious. You've heard me say many, many times I don't like churchy people, and I stick with that. That doesn't mean I don't like people who go to church. I'm saying I don't like churchy people. People who have to have a recipe and, a, and, a, and have to have rules for everything. Like, you can't go to heaven if you don't know the right words to pray. Come on, man. An unknown God is what Paul used, and you're worried about if you recite the right salvation prayer. You know, God never required us any salvation prayer. Biblical knowledge isn't necessary. You know what's necessary? Realizing that you are not where you need to be. And having a desire to find that unknown God. And if you have that, you're three quarters of the way there. Next, you just have to reach out for him. Have the boldness to act on that feeling and God will do something huge in your life. He'll give you eternal life. Right now, Paul finishes this sermon by reminding these people of the futility of idol gods. He says, Acts 17, 29. Being the children of God, now when he says children of God here, this doesn't mean they were believers, so what this means is the creation of God. In that, in that sense, we're all children of God. Okay? It says, being then the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature, both of those are capitalized, he's talking about God, not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of man. See, Paul was saying, since God placed that desire in us, we should be able to spot a fake. We should know if it's not the right one. And did the Athenians know they didn't have the right God? Yes. How do we know they knew they didn't have the right God? Because they built a statue to who? The unknown God who we know is Jesus. You see this? He's saying, you know none of these gods are right. You know it. You know that this isn't God. That's why you built this. You were crying out for somebody to tell you where the light switch was, and that's why I'm here. You know, you know it. Listen, God isn't found in religious statues and monuments and objects and trinkets. And churches make a fortune selling that stuff. Prayer claws. Come on, man. Really? If you want to waste your money, give it to me. You know, he says, oh, if you buy this prayer cloth, your rent will be paid. And I'm like, hey, I got an idea. How about you not sell it to him if you got that power and just pray that it gets paid anyway? You know? 
But, I mean, trinkets and, oh, i got to have this hanging around my neck if I want to pray about this and this hanging around my neck. And, you know, you should have fool hanging around your neck because that is not how you reach God. Listen, any God that can be contained in a building or a trinket is no God at all. He's saying you knew when you bowed to those statues. You knew when you bowed to those monuments and those trinkets. You knew it was wrong because the voice inside you was saying this isn't the light switch. This isn't it. This is not the way. Right? That's why they kept building more gods. They were not finding the way, and that's what made them build this last unknown God because they were hoping that would finally bring them the peace they needed. And you know what? It did for those who listened because he said the unknown God is the true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who sent his son to die and paid the life, paid for the lives of many. Now I want to finish with this real quick. Look at Acts chapter 17, go to verse 30. So Paul wants to remind his audience that the time of judgment is coming soon. Okay, he wants them to know, don't blow this off. Okay, Acts 17, 30. It says, therefore, having overlooked the time of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man, capital M, whom he has appointed, having uh, furnished proof to all men, by raising him from the dead. Well, gosh, I wonder who he's talking about there. Jesus, right? So Paul said, listen, God overlooked spiritual ignorance for a while, right? But when Jesus was crucified, this was not something done in a corner somewhere. It was done at the epicenter of the world pretty much at that time. And everybody knew about it. And if we had the news organizations then, they'd be falsely reporting about it. Right? Everybody everywhere knew about this. Every traveler talked about, did you hear about the man who died and rose again? Are you sure he rose again? Yes, over 500 people saw him alive and walking after his death and crucifixion. Secular writers wrote about it. Secular historians wrote about it. Pagan writers wrote about it. It was common knowledge that there was a man who was crucified and resurrected to promise eternal life to people who claimed to be the Son of God. That was well known. So he said, listen, now there's no excuses. Now you know the way. I, hey, I overlooked it for a while, but now you know the way. There is no excuse for not believing. Now is the time to repent. When it says repent here, it's talking about believe. A lot of people think that's two steps. Repent means to change your mind about something. Used in this text, it means they were changing their mind about who Jesus was and believing he was God. Two sides of the same coin. So he's saying now is the time to believe because if you don't, you'll face him and be held accountable for why you did not. See, everyone has an appointed time to die. I don't know when it is. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I drink monsters for crying out loud. Mine's probably coming soon. Right? But believe before your time's up. This is what he was saying. Believe before your time's up. Now, sadly, everyone didn't believe Paul's message. But we know that some did. Acts 17.32. Now when they had heard of the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer. But others said, we shall hear you again concerning this. Notice the two people there. There's the one kind of people going, I ain't believing that. Then there's the other kind of people going, eh, maybe when I'm 90 and I got all my fun done. Anybody ever been that person? To be honest. That was me. I said, I'm going to come to Jesus when I am too worthless to do anything else. That's what I used to think, right? There was those two crowds. So Paul went out of their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysus, the Aeropagate, 
and a woman named Damaris and others with him. Those will become important figures. I'm sure we'll discuss it sometime or another, right? <laughs> now, I know sharing your faith isn't going to make everybody fall at your feet and believe in Jesus. I never promised that. You know what? Sometimes you hit droughts. And sometimes when you share Jesus, they don't believe where you can hear it or find out about it. Sometimes one of the men that just called me and said he believed, I was witnessing to that man for three years, five years ago, five years ago. And I get a phone call, and he said, I have to tell you something on the way home from my clinic the other day. And I said, what's that? He said, I'm a believer. You know what? You don't know about the, what, what, how powerful the seed is that you're planting. But you'll never know if you don't plant it. You know what I mean? Here's what's important. Here's what's important. Don't pick a side. It doesn't matter who's right. It doesn't matter if the protesters are right or the anti-protesters are right. It doesn't matter if the Democrats are right or the Republicans are right. You know what? When you stand before God, he's not going to say, so, are you a liberal? <laughs> right? You know what's going to matter? It's not going to matter. Why waste your time with politics? Why waste your time with the battles of this idiocy that's going on right now? Why fight? Why argue? Why get so passionate about that? Why be passionate about something that cannot promote life when you know Jesus who can give eternal life to the most wretched person who will just believe, even if they're just reaching, not knowing, like looking for a light switch? You can see those people have eternal life. So if you want to pick a side, pick his side. But don't make matters worse by contributing to the chaos. We've lost our way. It's not about the pandemic. It's not about the protests. It's about priorities, Christians. And you know what our priority is? Jesus. And leading people to Jesus. And a hundred people we talk to might laugh and sneer and say maybe later, but if just one person believes, you've changed the eternal destiny of someone. God has used you to bring someone into the eternal family of God, and I think that's pretty dang powerful. And worth it all. So that needs to be our focus. Because listen, all the stuff that's going on around you right now is a part of the great deception. The enemy wants you talking about protests. He wants you talking about pandemics. Because as long as you're talking about protests and pandemics, you are not talking about Jesus. And he is happy. Let the chaos continue. That's what's happening. I don't want that to be us. I'm going to go ahead and close there. I'm going to ask you would to please bow your heads. This is your first time. We always like to give an invitation. <clears throat> and if you're that person who knows where you are is not where you want to be, listen, if you just want him, it's enough. Remember when we talked about groping, like reaching in a dark room? While every head's bowed, every eye's closed, if you want me to pray for you, just make eye contact and put your head right back down. Bless those people. Bless those people. I'm not going to point you out. Bless those people. I'm not going to chase you down after church. I am too old. Bless those people. But I will pray for you because, listen, <laughs> this isn't my promise. It's his. He's near you. He wants a relationship with you. Just reach out for him, and you'll find him. And I'm going to be praying for you. If you can believe that what, he, what Jesus did on that cross was enough, that's all you need. And that's according to the word of God. Now, believers, I want to pray for us. And if you're listening online, God knows your heart. I'll be praying for you too. But believers, 
It's easy to get sucked in. Listen, I've been sucked in. I'm not up here saying, I've got it all figured out. Be like me. Listen, do not be like me. But I will tell you this much. When I find myself all fired up over stuff that doesn't matter and I find myself contributing to the chaos, I honestly am kind of ashamed of myself when I'm done. Because you know what? Why in the world am I fighting about stuff like that when I have the key to eternal life in my heart? When Jesus has given me eternal life, why am I fighting? I don't have anything to fight about. I'm going to pray that we get our focus back. And we'll let everybody else fight. Let everybody else argue. We're going to teach people where the light switch is. We're going to commit to telling people how to find Jesus. We're going to make the unknown God their best friend. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for all that you do. I thank you that you could love someone like me. Every day, I prove why we need Jesus. Because I am sinful. And no matter how hard I try, I can't be perfect. I sin. But your love is so much stronger than my sin. And your grace is so much more powerful than all my sin nature. And I just thank you that you made a way for us to have eternal life simply by trusting Jesus. And I just pray if there's someone here who doesn't know you, no doubt they have been confused. They've had all kinds of doctrines and teachings thrown at them. And God, just let them remember that your word says that even if they're just reaching out and feeling, they'll find you. Let them believe that what Jesus did was enough so that they can have eternal life. And if they make that decision, I pray they contact us or a friend or organization near them. And God, for those of us who are believers, let us stop being such easy targets. I can just hear the enemy laughing as we get sucked into the chaos, knowing that when we're in the chaos, we're not preaching him. We're not sharing our faith. Let us stand back, not get involved in being conformed to any ideal, to any philosophy but yours. And that is to Share the gospel message. Whosoever will believe will have eternal life. Give us the power to surrender our will to yours. God, I just pray that you would go with us as we leave here and keep us safe. Bless us to live what we profess. And we just pray if you don't return to take us home before we meet again, that we would come together at least one more time and give you all the praise, honor, and glory so worthy of. We just thank you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.